For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. In Conversation with Napoleon Branford is a new three-part podcast series delving into the life of the Wall Street All-Star. Napoleon Branford's autobiography is coming soon. Hi, my name is Jason Allen Jackson, and today I am back with the man, the myth, the legend that is known as Napoleon Branford. How have you been today? I'm doing very well. Good. Well, first, I wanted to start today by talking about your success in the business industry, because the status of success that you have reached as a black man is something that I feel is I feel should be celebrated and uplifted. I first want to start by asking you, what were some of your earliest jobs? Yeah, my very first job was actually working for my Aunt Rachel. <laughs> it was crazy. Really? Yeah. Uh, I was in the seventh grade, 12 years old. I would clean her house, top to bottom, cut the grass, wash the car for $2. So it was like 25 cents an hour. That was my very first job. But that allowed me to have enough bus fare and food to go to school for like a week to buy milk and candy. And then I would take sandwiches from home. Then my real first job was the paying job was working for the AMP store in East Chicago, where I was the first stock boy hired in 1968. And for my 16th birthday, uh, my mother and your grandmother gave me a work permit as my birthday present. And my Aunt Mildred gave me a job where a good friend of hers, Jim Bowman, was the assistant manager who was African-American with the Gary Roosevelt, was the uh, was the assistant store manager, and he hired me as a stock boy. And I worked there after school from 5.45 to 9.15, five days a week, 10 to 6 on Saturday and 10 to 4 on Sunday. And then once I graduated, I went to work for Union Carbide right there in East Chicago on Kennedy Avenue for the first summer. And then for the next three summers, I went I worked for Standard Oil of Indiana in Whiting. And from there, I moved to California. I got a job with Pacific Telephone. I worked there for like three years when I was in graduate school. And then I moved to Dade County, Florida, where I got introduced to uh, the municipal bond business. And from there, hired to work for Shearson American Express, which was one of the top 10 investment banking firms on Wall Street. Worked there for from November of 83 to May of 85. Then I started my own firm, Grigsby Brantford, in May of 85. Having a job since you were basically 12 and keep on working and working for things, do you feel like that really got you to where you are today? Or what were some life lessons that you learned early on? Uh, That actually helped me learn how to manage my time. See, when I was a kid growing up, I didn't go to parties because I work all the time on the weekends. So I never, I never went to a party when I was in high school. It's crazy, but I was always working or playing basketball, you know? And so, and my mother was very strict. I had to be home at dark 
at eight thirty, I had to be home. So it was it was crazy, except when I was working. And so I learned how to manage my time. And even though the work was tedious and was what you would call donkey work, but when you put that on your resume and you show here's a kid that started at 16 working for one of the largest grocery stores in America and then two Fortune 500 companies, when I went to apply for a job, it was like, wow, this this kid was an athlete. He graduated from college and he worked full time with these major uh, institutions. Gave me a lot of uh, uh, credentials that were far superior than anybody I applied for a job with. And as far as the tedious work, you know, I could have worked for the city in the, it used to be called the CETA program. Those kids were making $3.25 an hour. Well, I was making $5.50 an hour, but people were laughing at me because I was painting the fence from New Edition to Calumet, but I was making $2 an hour more than they were for the whole summer. So I was making like a couple thousand dollars more than they were making. While they were having fun, I was getting the cash. When I grew up, I had to work. I had to support the family. And so I had to support my mother and my two brothers at that young age. So I was like the man of the house. And so I had to carry the torch. So there was no uh, slacking or anything like that. And my mother made it very clear. I know you want to play basketball, but you cannot play basketball unless you make money to take care of our household. So I had to do both. I, I didn't have a choice. Well, I had a choice. The choice was not to play basketball, but I wasn't going to do that. Did you always know that you were going to be a success? No, I had no, I had absolutely no idea that I would ever become an investment banker. I didn't even know what investment banking was. It was just purely uh, accidental that I found my way into this profession. My only goal was to graduate from college because I had promised uh, your great-grandmother that uh, our cousin Houston did not graduate um, he went three and a half years and didn't graduate from college. And it broke her heart because she wanted to see someone in our family graduate. And I promised her that I would graduate. And so my whole goal was just to finish school. And that's what I did December 21st, 1974. She wasn't alive to see it, but that's what drove me, that I made that commitment. So whenever I give my word, I have to fulfill my word. With all of this success, you must have experienced some sort of pushback. As a black man, uh, how have you navigated through racism to achieve the magnitude of your success? Yeah, uh, it's interesting because people talk about today, it's a different world. People talk about systemic racism. Well, I don't know what that means. I know what institutional racism is, but I found that the most significant help I got came from white people getting me out of the situation that I was in. Like my coach from Nevada, you know, just getting in the car, driving to East Chicago, didn't know where I was, didn't know where we lived, but he wanted to give me a basketball scholarship. So he just drove to East Chicago and drove around and uh, knocked on the front door and said, hey, is Mrs. Branford there? And I said, yes. And he said, I said, who are you? He said, this is Coach Jack Spencer. I'd like to offer Napoleon Branford a scholarship to the University of Nevada. Now that was remarkable considering I had no scholarships, even though I was all state and we were an undefeated basketball team. I didn't have any scholarships. I had one gentleman come before me. Uh, he was the black coach at Malcolm X Junior College in Chicago. And he was the first Mr. Black basketball player, jumping Johnny Wilson. And he said, if nobody gives you a scholarship, you can get one from me. 
Yeah, and so what I did was once I got hired Pacific Telephone, then I went to Dade County, and then I was hired by uh, Ed Bell and Tony Ojeda. And then from there, Dick Montalbano, a white guy, hired me as assistant finance director. And then when I left there, uh, Arnold Greenfield got me hired at Shearson American Express in um, San Francisco, working with Jim Chilton, another white guy. And so getting to where I thrive in this business, you know, it came with the help of white people. And so I don't really understand the whole racist thing going on in the country right now. Most white people are not racist, despite what people think. And I was a big follower of Dr. King, which was you judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, that means for black people, too. We have to look at white people and say, we're going to judge them on the content of their character, not assume that they're racist because they're white. And, uh, and so that helped me out a lot because most people don't view that then or today. And that's one of the obstacles why they can't move forward because they have the race blinders on. I never really thought about it that way. The whole situation with the police. You know, I grew up in an era when people talking about giving, and I don't know, did your dad or mama give you the talk that people talk about, about how to act when police come around and stuff like that? Did you ever get that? Oh, definitely. Now, I had a different conversation. When I grew up, most of the police in our neighborhood were black. So I never, and my uncle Eli was, you know, the second or third policeman hired in East Chicago. So I didn't have that conversation. The conversation I had from my mother was avoid white women. It was Emmett Till. That's the discussion that I had. Do not be attracted or discuss or talk to white women unless you absolutely have, have to and be respectful. Now, that's something most young people hadn't heard that before. But anybody who was born in my generation, which was the early 50s, and Emmett Till was killed in 55, and then they had his casket showing, you know, this marred figure. That was what I was taught growing up. And so my best friends in California have been policemen. I played from 1983 until they tore down the police station. I played with policemen three to five days a week, every day with the entire police department. And so I don't understand this fear of the police. There are bad cops out there, but the lump, one group of people just being bad, all right, is totally crazy. And I, I can't really relate to that. And so my perspective, and maybe because I'm older and I lived, you know, through the civil rights struggle up to the day, you know, one of the things that Dr. King taught, which the young people, who in the social media don't have a great appreciation for is that they want to be liked. But Dr. King's famous, one of his famous statements was, I don't want to legislate that you love me. I want to regulate your behavior. I don't want you lynching me. But whether you like me or not, that don't mean anything. And I've never cared about whether people like me or not. I just wanted to make sure that I had an equal, people equate liking you to helping you. And that's not the case. And so having and doing this whole PR thing that I'm doing now, I can understand why kids have problems with self-confidence because you get all these likes. If you don't get enough likes, then you think you don't like yourself, which I think is uh, abhorrent from my generation to understand that. I'm not sure to answer the question, but uh, that'll give you some perspective on my generational view of the world 
which is something that I think young people need to know. And I think trying to get rid of all of this history and all that, but those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. And so you just can't wipe out all the things that we went through. You need to understand what we did because up until 1965, the passing of the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, we were legal apartheid, just like Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Black folks had no right to go to the bathroom, to drink water, to ride on the bus, or anything. Legal apartheid until 1965. And so, uh, having grown up in that era, then you understand and appreciate, you know, where we are today and the freedoms that we have. I agree. And what I think is, is that things that we go through through generation and generation will not continue. I guess that's my little two cents about it. Okay. Well, you know, from my perspective, from your generation, you guys have unlimited potential if you just dream about it. You could do anything you want to do. In my day, you were very select things that you could do. You couldn't be an engineer. This went to an HBC. You couldn't go to most of the major colleges. Do you know, when I was at Purdue University, no blacks or women could be in the engineering program? That's crazy, isn't it? Women can be engineers. And look at half the engineers in the world today are women. I mean, staggering the opportunities that, that are there. But you only limit it if you let yourself be boxed in into race consciousness. Like in investment banking. You can be any kind of investment banker in the world you want to be today. All the opportunities for international equities, commodities. When I was growing up, it was only municipal bonds. That's all you could be. Nothing else. And now it's wide open. And so I don't understand why the kids feel, to me, it all goes back to being wanted, wanting to be liked rather than recognize the opportunities out there. Food for thought right there. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I can't wait to finish this out in podcast three. On the next episode of In Conversation with Napoleon Bradford. And if you think professional basketball or Super Bowl is competition, that's not real competition. You go up against Goldman Sachs fighting for a billion-dollar deal. That's a real competition. Napoleon Bradford's autobiography is coming soon. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.